Are you um, ready for the theme song? I am ready for the theme song. I figured since you know we're talking about Game of Thrones, there's really only one thing we we can we can do. Yeah, I think it has to be <gasps> podcast. It's a 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 podcast. Round table, nerd round table. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's on the internet. It's a podcast. Hey guys, we, we we could keep it going like forever, like the like the title screen of Game of Thrones, but we but won't I, do that. Yeah, and honestly, like the CGI like background thing I set up for this, I realized does not work so well in a radio medium. That's true. That's true because um, contrary to popular belief, you don't actually see anything in a podcast. Yeah, I've noticed that. So you guys are missing out. Man, we need to find. We need to use our budget better. Yeah, no, no, yeah, you should see it. I had, like, a bunch of, like, uh, like it's like claymation, but you the world will never next see time. my art. Yeah, next, next, time. next time when we find out how you can see podcasts. Easy, we just gotta wait for, like, virtual reality to catch up. Virtual reality podcast. Hey, virtual reality, stop f***ing around. Anyway, hi, welcome to the Nerd Roundtable with the Percival Brothers, and that's, that's who's here today, just the yeah. Percival Brothers. So, I'm Matthew. And I'm Kevin. Today, we're, we're brothers. Yeah, we are. That is the thing we are. Um, today is going to be kind of a smorgasbord day. Welcome um, to the smorgasbord special. Talk a bunch of different stuff. Um, well, I guess I should do the uh, the house cleaning stuff first. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about us, we have a website, nerdroundtable.blogspot.com. You can also follow us on Twitter to get the most up-to-date, you know, news and stuff. The moment that the podcasts go up, you can see it via the Twitter, at nerdroundtable. We're on the social networks, folks. Yeah, I, I don't post there very much. I should do that more. Also, yeah, we'll I'll, I'll give you the handle as well, Kevin, so you can post things too. You can hear all our witty banter in... So witty! Just a few characters. Yeah, that's the thing. I've never really tweeted before. So when I first, like, you know, I start typing something, I immediately run out of space because I'm wordy. Yeah, no, we've noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, I talk more, but I'm just feeling so much weight from watching three Game of Thrones episodes in a row. Oh, you watched all three of them? Well, no, I haven't watched episode three yet. I watched the end of last season, which I <laughs> neglected to do. Oh, really? And you, you've, you've missed out on all like the waiting throughout this last season of Will He Come Back? Well, here's well, the you, thing. I know you read the books, but... Matthew, can we do the spoiler warning? Yeah, we should probably do that. Um, the next while is going to be Game of Thrones talk. Obviously, big spoilers. If you have not watched the end of Season 5 or Season 6, though the thing we're talking about you've probably heard about because, come on, let's be real. But if you want to avoid it, just look in the uh, description of this podcast and look for the timestamp for our next subject. Yes, yeah, so welcome to The Spoiler Zone, sponsored by Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, so uh, Jon Snow's back. Yeah, just knows uh, he's alive. And guess yeah. how I found? Do you know, you know how I found out about it? At a Seven Eleven. Oh man, this is the worst. How'd you find out at Seven Eleven? Did the guy tell you? <laughs> no, it's the cover of Entertainment Weekly. It just shows a picture of Jon Snow that says he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, oh, it was. They don't even was, care. It was so heavy-handed that I couldn't get mad because I was like. Oh, Christ. Could you imagine if, like, newspapers after, like, The Sixth Sense is a big picture of Bruce Willis? It's like, he's a ghost? He's a He's a ghost? <laughs> what? 
He was dead the whole time? Spoiler alert. Soylent Green is people? Uh, oh, spoiler alert again. For... Rosebud's the sled? Matthew, stop spoiling all these movies. People are getting so mad at us. It's true. I've ruined everything. Even even knowing that it was going to happen, you know, I didn't have it spoiled for me, but come on, we all knew it was going to happen. We all knew it was going to happen. Okay, and, it, and it happened about the way everyone expected. But even then, they built the suspense of it really, really well. I like, think that, they that did a really good was job. Excellent. Um, I felt like they did a good job throughout the opening of this season handling the death of Jon Snow. Because, yeah. I mean, like, I read, I was that dweeb that read the books, and so I was feeling real cocky up until this season. Um, <laughs> yeah, uncharted territory. However, I was pretty sure. From the way he wrote this death of Jon Snow scene from the books, that we were going to see more of Jon Snow. Yeah, that's what I've heard from people who've talked about the books. Like, you know, is he going to stay dead in the show? Probably not. Is he going to stay dead in the books? Definitely not. Yeah, so that's kind of the vibe I was getting. Now, you never know with the show because the show just loves killing people off. Yeah, but e- even the show, I mean, there is so much plot attached to, to him. There's yeah, just that- a lot. And, and you, you just, just you can't and because you know and people talk about well there was a lot of plot attached to Ned Stark too it's like well but Ned's plots all had come to a conclusion it made narrative sense you know he had his you know he had his things he was dealing with he confronted those things and he promptly lost and it, yeah. and it made sense but and to have that just, happen to um, everyone's favorite bastard it would have been just weird <laughs> just like build up all the stuff about who are his parents what's gonna happen with the wildlings because he's, he's the only pov character left up there so if he's gone like what's the point of even going up there right and so i feel like it was just an interesting character to put that much weight behind will he be back when he's one of the ones i was like yeah totes and exactly not because i know george R. R. martin as soon as he has an opportunity could easily kill off Jon snow he loves killing off people we like but he but, does it in ways that make sense. Right. Ways that would actually lead to something happening for the other characters. If Jon Snow had died at that point, you would have just seen Davos walk out and been like, oh. And then we wouldn't have gone back to the yeah, wall again. Then, yeah. And then Davos and Melisandre would have been like, I guess we need to go find someone else. <laughs> and they just leave. And you're like, well, what was the point of all that then? A lot of people, uh, you know, uh, I know a few people, not a lot of people, most people I think were pretty happy with it. But there are a few people who are like, well, you know, if we all, if it was so obvious, it wasn't a very good twist. It's like, well, you know, the reason it was obvious was, again, because of the narrative, just the, you know, the narrative just made it pretty clear that that's the smart decision to make. And you compare that to um, other, like, death twists in other shows, like um, The Walking Dead, which had, I don't watch it, by the way, um, I just know about that Glenn guy. And if, 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 Kevin, do you watch it? Do you have, know what I'm talking about? I do. Spoiler alert for Walking Dead. Yeah, this whole bit's just really spoilery. We're going to spoil <laughs> everything you've ever wanted to know something about. Han dies at the end. Um, <laughs> is that, gl- yeah, there's some of the Glenn thing. But, yeah. and sometimes though, I don't, know, I don't know, I liked the Game of Thrones twist of bringing him back because one, it had narrative weight. I sometimes feel like in some shows, like Glenn not dying, you kind of have to go, wait, what? Yeah, um, it took like a lot of explanation, and the show, like the way they presented it was like, oh, he's super dead and he's not coming back. Matthew, Whereas- I have a question, though, from my point of view. Did you feel it was a stretch that people can just come back to life in this universe? 
Um, well, it depends on the impact on the person. I think it's a stretch to say they'll come back and be completely fine, but I don't think Jon Snow is completely fine. He definitely doesn't seem like he is. Like, physically, cool. physically, he seems relatively okay. He seems a lot weaker, obviously, but, you know, he's he's obviously been very mentally messed up by this experience. Okay, good. Uh, I was curious because for people who've, you know, gone and read Game of Thrones, he's not the first person who they've decided to bring back to life, but this other character got cut from the show um, because he has too many damn characters. Wait, who, who, who are we talking about? Uh, Catelyn Stark. Oh, right. Uh, Lady Stoneheart. Lady Stoneheart also came back to life from mysterious circumstances they've never explained. For, uh, yeah, and for Jon Snow, it was, it was also, I mean, it definitely helped that the show had set up that this was possible for Melisandre, the, you know, the Red Priestess to do. I'm actually, I'm rewatching the entire show right now for the first time since I binge watched it up to season, up through season five. Oh, and, that's right. Um, They've got the uh, what's his name, the the red priest in season it's two or three. It's season three when uh, when oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, when Arya Stark and her buddies are with the Brotherhood without banners, right? And, and the Hound ah. kills that guy, and the red priest brings them back. And Melisandre, you know, because Melisandre mentions that when when Davos goes, "Hey, can you do this?" and she's like, "Well, I didn't meet that one guy who did it." And they even got the parallel correct in how that um, ability works because the person in season three, the Red Priest, who was bringing back that one guy, his name's like Sir Barrick or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, when she asked him how he did it, how he has that power, he's like, well, I don't really. I, you know, I was a terrible priest. I, you know, I, I decided that God doesn't exist. I drank a lot. I was an alcoholic. And then my friend got killed and I said the words because they're the only words I knew and my friend was dead. And then it worked. It's the lack of faith that makes it work. That's when the Lord of Light shows up. And that happened to Melisandre too, as she had lost faith in that moment. And, you know, and her, all those words she say doesn't work. It's when she says, please. Fascinating. That was, that's just good story structure right yeah there. exactly it's just again which which you know if it didn't work that'd just be bad storytelling <laughs> like right good, good storytelling is sometimes predictable but it's still good because it feels good i mean sometimes you have to have this show is so it has this it really does worship the fact <clears throat> that chaos rules and shit happens yeah to people. like freaking ramsey i don't i don't know how i feel about ramsey ramsey is an interesting one because he's become such a big force on this show. I think a lot of it has to do also just with how damn good that actor is. I'm a very big oh, fan. Oh, he's great. He's wonderful. But his character is becoming very cartoony at this point. <laughs> well, to the point that it's like, ah, he's going to stab that guy. Up, ah, he's yep, going to feed her the dogs. Up, ah, he's going to do something else wacky. <laughs> that, um, that's why you know, the, the online phrase form is, that's Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> Happy baby brother Ramsey, how are you gonna handle it? Now it's it's just pretty funny that you know that that episode there was just like you know how previously like you know kinslang was like a really big deal when it happened, and then to have it happen to three different families all in one episode was a little jarring. Yeah, it usually has a little more weight, and suddenly out of nowhere we're just having kin slayed everywhere. Whether it's like random person we don't know of throws man off bridge. Yeah. It was weird in the first place just to end up back with the Greyjoys after like a season and a half or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, you, these guys are still here. 
you kind of forgot what happened to them or what's been going on. They've had a war, I guess, that's been happening. Yep, apparently. I think they lost said war to the Boltons, but... Yep, because they're just, like, sitting there in their little towers feeling irrelevant. Which they have been to the story. Yeah, (laughs) so both those scenes are pretty jarring. Well, they gotta get the Greyjoys back in because I am... I will bet money that it's the Greyjoys ships that will get Daenerys across the Narrow Sea. Well, yeah, and there's something else associated with the Great... You'll see. Okay, oh, Mr. Book Reader. I know, um, it's the thing is that they're bringing something from uh, book four back. uh, Okay, out out of all the, uh, you know, random like, oh, I guess those people are dead now that started season six off, I'm most happy with what happened in Dorne because now we never have to go back there. And the thing is, is that I love Dorne. Dorne's a fantastic place. You mean, do you like it in do you like it in the show or do you like it no, like the idea just, of it? Okay. I like the concept of Dorne. It's everyone like, it's loves a- the concept of Dorne. The show has just t- done it horribly. As soon as they went to Dorne, it became this just slow ass place where people are horny. Yeah, and the the thing that's always been really impressive about Game of Thrones when it comes to its world building is that you really do get the feeling that you know all these different locations they go to. Some of them are obviously sets or CGI or whatever, but it feels like a, a world. It feels like these places exist in a living, breathing environment. Dorne really does feel like a set because all we've seen of it is this garden. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know anything else about it. No, and it's a huge, vibrant place. It's got deserts. It's it's Spain. It's medieval Spain, southern yeah. Spain. And all and we know, like, all we all we know of it outside of that garden is that Oberyn was fun with the little twirly spear. Yeah, I mean, and then he got crushed. <laughs> it's almost like in the show they should have just kept Oberyn and the Martells as these people who visited <clears throat> and not done the trip. Well, what happened on the trip? Nothing important that couldn't have been done in a letter. Or in one episode, really. As opposed to stretching it out. I'm going to spoil one more time, but it's like... I won't even say spoiler anymore, I'm just going to spoil everything. No, this is a spoiler session of Game of Thrones. They go and they spend an entire season so he can go to Sandyland and not bring back the daughter he was going to get. Yeah, the only the only reason that that whole bit was tolerable was that the acting was pretty good, and Jamie and Braun make a really funny road trip duo. Oh yeah, and that, that's it. That's the only reason that that part was like, oh my gosh, can I fast forward through this, please? Uh, it, and get back a- to the awesome things that are happening, like everything else in season five. Matthew, I have a Game of Thrones issue. Okay, let's see. Let's hear it. I I really like Game of Thrones. I I like the world. I like the characters, and every episode is a grab bag of horribly boring segments and really interesting segments that I need to find out more answers to. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like more of a criticism of the show just isn't compelling all the time, which for me, it's like, well, that's not terribly surprising considering there's been over 50 hours worth of it, but it's compelling most of the time, and at this point, at this state of how long they've been doing it, it's impressive that it's still as compelling as it is. Oh, I think they've done amazing, like an amazing job at taking such a dense hunk of names and things happening and making it into like really good TV. Yeah, but, for, yeah. For me, being like, "Wow, this guy, this guy's awesome." I don't remember his name, but he's so cool. I can't believe they've kept this going this long. To be honest, like at any any moment, I'm waiting for it to completely derail. 
Well, I know you haven't seen episode three yet, but um, it, spoilers, it doesn't derail there. So, oh, good. So, so yeah, you have something to look forward to. I'll watch it later today, and I'll yep. probably enjoy it terribly. Especially, I just want to watch an entire episode on the antics of of Tyrion, of and, Tyrion and Varys, and, and Varys. It's so. Oh man, I just, I still just remember oh. the last. I still just remember the last episode, season five. When they're both standing there on the balcony and Tyrion's like, oh, if only I knew someone who has tons of experience running a massive sprawling city. And Varys is like, oh, if only. And Tyrion just looks at him and goes, I've missed you. And you're like, hey! It's such a great moment setting up what happens. I just, ah, I love the two of them so very much. They are super cute. The other funny thing about Game of Thrones is that for all of the death and destruction in it, there's there's just, the fighting's really bad most of the time. <laughs> Like the the fight choreography. What's going on with that? Because here's the thing: um, is oh, this is another thing to look forward to in episode three? Unquestionably, the best fight in the series. Oh, thank God! Because questionably, they it's have like super good. They have several remarkable battle sequences, and then they also have a bunch of some of the most dull and choreographed looking. Sh- Freaking Oberyn versus the Mountain. <laughs> what was that? It was hippity hopping <laughs> and then squished like a grape. I, or, loved, oh. I just love. I was watching the the other day to really like analyze like the fight choreography and like the way it was shot and everything. And just there's so many bits where Oberyn's just like spinning the spear and it cuts like like five different angles and like five seconds of him just spinning it. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. My favorite fight scene of probably the entire series, and not because it's good, because it's it's very confusing, is when they take over that city. I don't know if it was Yunkai or one of those Slaver Bay cities. They take over the city by sneaking in just Grey Wolf, oh, yeah. Jorah, and I think Daria Naharis. Yeah. They sneak into the city and suddenly engage in some of the most dull fight choreography I've ever seen with some dudes. Yeah. Unlike some of the other fights where like you can tell like not even like the actors know how to fight. At least the three of them actually know how to do it. It's all about how they shot it. Yeah, it's just the sh- yeah the way that you know you're watching you know the guy who plays Grey Worm like he's clearly like a fight guy like oh he's doing yeah, it really well he's fantastic but it's shot just so dull. <laughs> they shoot it in like a wide frame and they have the three of them in the middle and then they have all the guys who are coming to fight them kind of coming in like one, one at, at a time, time yeah and they to just do kinda, some and they just kind of like just cut like like in a circle they just cut to like each person like killing a person for like it's all three pacing. minutes you can take an amazing fighter which all three of them are very good movers i was very impressed with their stuff but if you just like go here is a fight here is a fight here is a fight the end it's yep. like Ugh! as opposed to i really like the the showdown between Jon Snow and greasy wormy guy from Turn. Oh, the Pacific Rim guy? Yeah. Yeah, Pacific Rim guy. Um, I think that whole fight sequence in the hut was fantastic. That is one of the ones that's uh, shot pretty well. Really, all the Castle Black stuff is actually, all those fights fights are actually pretty darn great. Those are some of the few that are really good. Which I think I think that's because you know that's the place where all of like the really big battles have happened, where most of them have anyway. So I think they have like their best fight unit up there. So I'm really excited to see the. Uh, I'm excited to see this fight you're talking about. Yeah, and then on the other end, talking about the uh, the Yunkai battle. On the other end, you have Brienne versus the uh, the Hound, which is pretty well shot, but you can tell that again, like the choreography is not very good. But they hide it with really clever editing. 
Yeah, because like also the, those the, are the, two the emotion, you kind of clunk yeah. together. Yeah, the emotion of the scene is really well conveyed, but if you actually like try to like watch what's happening, you can't tell. But the emotions there, like you know the the tenseness and you know the desperation of both people, is really well conveyed because they're just great actors. But it just it's you can't tell what's going on though. No, that's a big. We could do an entire special about different TV shows and movies and, the and how they do their, fight, their fight choreography. Future episode. Oh my gosh, we can go. We can just start jumping into Daredevil when we get to that. I'm very impressed with the fight choreography on that show. Yep. All so, right. Yeah, so Game of Thrones. Um, I'd recommend you watch it. These episodes we just spoiled for you, even if we spoiled them for you. Why didn't you read the description of the episode, you fool? You monster! Anyway, um, let's move on to something that's kind of like Game of Thrones. What is it, Matthew? What is it? Um, That would be um, the trailer for the Assassin's Creed movie. I'm an assassin. It's in Spain. This just looks <laughs> like live trailer footage. Michael Fassbender, what's he doing here? Burma, 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 leap of faith. Was that your Kanye West impression? No, I can't do a Kanye West impression. Okay, that Assassin's Creed trailer, you know, it looks professional. It looks neat. It looks like high production values. It looks real pretty. Definitely the highest again. production Definitely the highest production values for a video game movies since Prince of Persia and I guess the Warcraft movie this year, which we, we can briefly talk about that one too. I'm but um, that one. no, you know, it has a lot of effort put in it. They have Michael Fassbender, but I don't know. It just it does remind me of the Prince of Persia. Stuff. It reminded me a lot of the Prince of Persia, especially stuff. the Kanye West track. It was all that was. The, we are making <laughs> video games cool, people. Yeah, like the, when you when you heard Kanye going, "I am a god," you could just I could just see the boardroom of old people being like, "Yes, kids will love that." And Kanye's walking to the bank, going, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it looks fair. It looks fairly stylish. Well, Matthew, I, this is my opinion. I believe it is going to be a well shot, very pretty. But extremely long dull. trailer. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a long, really poorly. Uh, and and you know what? Fast Bender's probably gonna do a darn good job. It's. I just. I get. I'm getting Prince of Persia all over it. I'm getting a big, expensive snore. Yeah, which is it's it's a bit of a shame that it's kind of feeling like that because Assassin's Creed, out of all like the video game series, that one had a pretty good shot at making like a pretty interesting movie. Oh, 100%. I think they but, did a fantastic movie. Yeah, but it seems like they're really going for kind of like this weird contemporary vibe to it. They needed to go like full period piece with it, I felt like. Yeah, they even kept the Abstergo plot. Yeah, which I know some assa- a lot of Assassin's Creed fans really like that Da Vinci Code bowl. <sighs> but it's dumb. <laughs> it's stupid. Here's the, first, the thing: the first game playing... that they, the first game that they disposed of the whole Abstergo thing, was like the best one. A hundred percent. Okay, the thing is, is that Black Flag is probably my favorite of. Oh, it's the, the best one. Oh, it's by far the best one, and the Abstergo plot is completely on the outskirts. You can do it if you kind of wanna. Yeah. But you do the games because you want to be a pirate, and so why take away our fun of Fastbender by? putting him in a magic virtual reality thing just to confuse audience members. 
I don't know. That's the whole thing that's always confusing about Assassin's Creed from the get-go. It's like, we're not playing this game to figure out if Desmond Miles, or whatever his name was, it can save his dad or whatever it is. Is that what the plot was? It's something like his dad was part of the like modern-day Assassins fighting the modern-day Templars. Then like, the apocalypse almost happens in Assassin's Creed 3, and Desmond Miles sacrifices himself to save everyone. It's really dumb. Spoilers? Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Here's the thing is that I always thought they did that because they were going to eventually set up a modern day Assassin's Creed and that has yet to happen. They're like working their way there really slowly because I think the latest one was uh, Victorian England, I think. So they're getting Are we going there. to go to medieval Japan? Is that a thing we're going to do? Medieval Japan? Is that, a, is that their next one? No, I just got to say, if you're making a game about assassins, you might as well go to medieval Dude, Japan. that'd be so great. Why sh- they should do that right now. Hey, Assassin's Creed, ex- Ubisoft executives, I know you're listening to this. You should um, you should do that. That's Stop pitch. beating up on the Italians. Just go to yeah, Japan. Yeah, leave those Europeans alone. Go to Japan. Everyone wants to be a, a samurai assassin. That'd be a, you'd be a ninja in Japan. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Like... You're basically a ninja in Europe, and that's fun and unique and everything, but you might as well just commit at this point and go to Japan for a game. And don't go to North America again, unless you're a pirate. Just don't. Don't. Yeah, you know, I I 100% Assassin's Creed 3. I'm not sure why I did. I really don't know now that I think about it. Because, well, here's the thing is the concept was great. I love that time period. It's a fascinating time period. I really wanted to like that game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I'm trying to think. I think, I, I think, I mostly got all the collectibles and stuff just because the movement in that game is really fun. Oh, it's beautiful. It just, feel, it just feels good to play. Uh, then they gave you a pirate ship, and I was like, "Oh, Assassin's Creed, you know me." See, and I didn't finish Black Flag. It's the worst crime in all of my gaming. Is I 100% Assassin's Creed three, but I haven't finished Black Flag. Ah, yet. pull it out again, Wind Waker. It yeah, I should. I really total around in your boat and hunt whales. Yep. No, right now I'm playing uh, I'm playing South Park The Stick of Truth finally. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so silly! I love it! It's like, you know, there are a couple minor quibbles gameplay-wise. It's way too easy, even on like the hardest mode. It's like super-duper easy. That doesn't matter, because number one, the gameplay is compelling enough that you can't just mash A to get through every, all the fights. You actually have to like think about each move, which is all I could really ask for. And, and it's, a it's lot of the moves make you laugh. Exactly, it's South Park. It's hilarious. There's a summon where Jesus comes down with a machine gun. <laughs> it's it's so great. I've got to keep playing that. I started it and then I got distracted, so I'll have to get back to it. I'm currently playing Dragon's Dogma: Dark Arisen. Oh, I've vaguely heard of Dragon's Dogma. Explain it. I actually rather like it. It here's the thing. It's one of those things that is like rife with horrible design decisions. And completely the plot you can just throw away. So, but the basic concept is it's a third person fantasy RPG with a generic plot and shitty voice acting. And all those sound like the worst, just you can't sell it at all. That sounds However, like a JRPG. Is it yeah, a JRPG? It is a JRPG. Oh my gosh, how did I know? Yeah, it was remarkable. But here's the thing is I've never had a game do boss battles quite as good as this one. Because the, what they mashed up with is they matched it with Shadow of the Frickin' Colossus. Ooh, that's always a good thing. So take the big dragons in Skyrim, which you just ran up and like awkwardly mashed your sword against. 
And what if you could just climb them and stick a sword in its eyeball? Oh, that's fun. It's a lot of fun. And at first I was kind of like, I got it because it was on discount. And I was like, I could try one of these. This sounds interesting. And then as soon as the first time that a half lion, half goat, half snake monster charged out of the woods at me and I pissed myself and immediately got like eaten by a snake on its tail. I was like, this game is amazing. Now, Um, Dragons, what, what are you playing it on? Uh, the 360, which is pretty buggy. I heard that the new PC port for any of those out there was Steam. It just came on Steam like in the last two months. It's supposedly very good. Ooh, I'm gonna give it a shot. Like I've, I know I've definitely heard of Dragon's Dogma. I'm trying to remember. Does 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 it have kind of a cartoony aesthetic to it, or am I thinking of something else? No, it has a very Dark Souls a- aesthetic to it. So I guess my best way to describe it would I'm just be look it Dark up right Souls. Now. I'd say it's it's like Dark Souls meets Shadow of the Colossus. With uh, a little bit of a lower learning curve. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, looking at the cover for it right now. That looks very exactly how you described it. Yeah, with with the um, you know cute JRPG vibe to it, kind of thrown on top of it. Well, not cute, the pretty JRPG vibe. To yeah, it. the pretty JRPG vibe. So I would definitely recommend it if maybe you like fighting things with swords, but really don't like fantasy story because you can just skip it. Because here's the um, thing, I love fighting things with swords, I generally ignore the story, because it bores me. That's why Mountain Blade is my favorite game right now. <laughs> hey, let's chat about Mountain Blade for a second. Man, Mountain Blade, this is kind of becoming just kind of our video game smorgasbord bit. I know, because we just got geeked out. But Matthew, Mountain Blade, I discovered a couple years ago, and I remember calling you and saying, Matthew, this is a game called Mountain Blade. It's like a you're on a horse, and then like you find some guys, and then like you find more guys, and then... And then six days have passed, and you've taken over a one castle. Yeah, it's a, um, for those who don't know, it's a medieval uh, warfare simulator where you play as um, a person that you can choose the background of, and you end up in this continent that's basically Westeros, and um, you go around, and you just have to work your way up from, you know, a lowly nobody to, in my case, I am currently the queen of my own kingdom right now. What? I'm, pull- I'm pulling a Daenerys Targaryen. Nice. I actually have like a solid like fourth of the map under my control. It's pretty great. And, and it, it took me like a hundred hours ish to get to that point, but <laughs> it feels really good to get there. And if you're one of those people who has a short attention span, it has one of the greatest modding communities on the planet. Oh, so yeah, the, any- the mods for it are absolutely insane. Oh, and they're hilarious. So I've taken my game to Westeros, where Ramsey Snow found me, and. That didn't turn out very well. <laughs> I've, I've taken the game to several, like the Warhammer universe. You can go fight rat people and skull lords. You can make the game like set in the Roman era. And one of my favorites is you can set it in Napoleonic times and go marching with huge armies of musketeers and line up. Oh yeah, that's and- the, uh, the uh, yeah, there's a multiplayer, maybe multiplayer expansion is the Napoleonic thing. Yeah, there's it? a multiplayer and a single player one and both of them are hilarious if you like to stand in a long line and shoot at people and, and then, wait to be shot. And get time. shot, exactly. I, wa- I watched, I haven't played the multiplayer yet but I watched um, you know, a YouTube video of the Napoleonic Wars and it's just so funny. Oh, it's, it's you know, hilarious. It's like, you know, 40 like players 
running, charging forward. It was a siege mission, and they all charge forward, and they all land in this trench together. It's all these obviously like player characters all sitting around. The chat's just exploding with people yelling stuff at each other, and eventually, like a couple of them at the, at the same time, like okay, let's go, and everyone's chatting, go, 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 and everyone like climbs over the trench, and people are getting shot everywhere. It looks so, it just it's looks so goofy. Super, it's super simple fun. Like the concept of it is super simple. You don't have to get too bogged down in, in the details of it. You really just get to like make your own story as you go. It's really fun. Yeah. Uh, Mountain Blade, it definitely has a pretty big uh, learning curve. It's very hard. It's extremely hard. Like even with like all of like the settings turned down as low as possible, like all the difficulty settings. And there's even like a damage modifier for yourself you can set up. I only take like two thirds of the damage you're supposed to take because um, otherwise you get hit by an arrow in the head and you have to lay there for like 10 minutes while the really battle ends rough. and that's just not fun so i've altered it accordingly i had a i had a much lower when i first got the game because i was terrible at it because you know figuring out like when to swing your sword and stuff is really challenging because the, the combat's pretty clunky it's, tough it's to clunky. To. It's a good idea in theory. It's it's pretty hard to do when you're in the mess of it, and sometimes it's hard to tell when someone's swinging. Yeah. Or but once what? you kind of get the hang of it, you can you can feel pretty sweet, especially when you're like sieging a place and you climb like you know the ladder up there and you're fighting on the walls. It's really fun, and I'm really excited for the sequel. Oh, absolutely. All right, Matthew, what's next on our list of nerd topics? Uh, well, let's see. Well, since we're on the topic of video games still, and we were talking about JRPGs earlier. Um, this um, September, October, November area is shaping up to be a really interesting matchup between two really well-known JRPG series. Ooh, what? We have um, Final Fantasy XV, which revealed its game footage at PAX East the other day and looks really pretty, at least. I don't know. With Final Fantasy lately, it's, <laughs> it's tough to get really stoked. Like, oh, I bet it's going to be amazing. Eh, there's <laughs> a pretty good chance it won't be. I gotta see this. I'm but, curious now. Yeah, from a, you know, but the one thing you can always trust Square Enix, or however you say it, the one thing you can always trust with them is that it, the technology will be there for it to look just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, and, be, lo- and it looks stunning. It'll look it absolutely beautiful. I'm really excited to see that. But, um, and it's releasing around the same time as the game that I've been waiting forever for and that is persona 5 and oh Oh, man oh oh, man kevin september 15th not in the u.s we don't know when it comes out here but it has a release date which is better than it being delayed four times like it was hey that's a plus yeah and the new trailer came out for it and it i don't speak japanese so i can't say what they were talking about but it sure looks stylish, and that's Persona's thing, is just pure style. It just oozes style. Like, you can't even tell the difference between the cutscenes and, like, the the player menus. That's how cool it looks. Super styling. Yeah, so for, for those who don't know anything about Persona, which will probably be most of you, it's this JRPG series that is kind of like part detective novel, part anime high school simulator part dungeon crawler and part carl jung philosophy um is that <sighs> a very good great descri- is that a good a description? description does that's that give you any sort of idea of what these what these games are like <laughs> they're as confusing as most 
super conceptual things I see coming out of Japan, but they're super know. cool from what they're really I've watched. Hard to exp- they're really hard to explain, but they're so much fun. Persona 4 in particular is my favorite, one, probably my favorite video game ever, and actually like one of my favorite pieces of art, period. Like even comparing it to movies and books, it's up there. It's just really incredible. Because the, the characters are always just amazing and nuanced and multi-layered. And the writing is great and the style of it all is just incredibly well presented. It's just really fun. Buy them. Play them. They're on PlayStations. <laughs> Go now. Do Matthew, it. I've, I've, I've finally come down to it. I've, I'm looking at the screens from Final Fantasy uh, 15. Doesn't it look so pretty? It looks so pretty. But my biggest, the thing I am most impressed with is that technology has been able to take JRPG hair and continue to make it look like JRPG hair. I know, it looks like viable in real life. (laughs) When everyone knows it's not, but there it is. There it is. I'm like, wow, I'm going to see this haircut walking down the street. No, it's absolutely wacky. So it's a pretty exciting year for video games because you have all those, you know, high-profile games coming. You have the Assassin's Creed trailer, not trailer, you have the Assassin's Creed movie coming out this year. You have the Warcraft movie coming out this year, which looks pretty bad, but, you know, it's fine. It's got the guy from Vikings in it. It does. The weirdest thing, though, is to watch those trailers and just the animation of it all just seems really cheap. Yeah, which is, which is no, weird. It does. It's weird from for Blizzard. Yeah, because Blizzard's like cinematics for their video games look way better than this movie. Like the Overwatch trailers look higher quality than, than the this movie, film. which makes me think that I don't know. Maybe the maybe Blizzard didn't, but Blizzard has all the money in the world. I'm disappointed in them. Yeah, well, I don't know. In maybe the end, just... Matthew, though, the real movie that I want to see is I want to see a Warhammer movie. I don't really know anything about Warhammer, so... It's it's exactly like Warcraft, Matthew, but if it was created by, like, a kindergartner who ate all the sugar and had a lot of violent tendencies. Huh. Alright. I mean, like, I know... That's not related to Dawn of War, is it? Yep. Oh, it is, yeah, because Dawn of War is the sci-fi version of that. Yep. Yeah, I remember playing one of those Dawn of War games... Yeah, that, like, you know, take fun. everything, take everything from from Warcraft and just give them bigger muscles and have them rip off more limbs is the basic concept. See, I could get behind that. I yeah, could get no, behind I'm that so movie. there because I don't know about Warcraft. It looks like some fantasy stuff. But what if we gave all those orcs chainsaws? And why don't <laughs> we make them all irritatingly cockney? And why don't just why not? We set it in space and give them laser guns, flamethrowers, and chainsaws. Boom. Fix the movie. Brilliant movie. Best picture, Oscar. 10 out of 10. I guess we're on the movie subject. This is, you know, a little while ago. But we all know that the Doctor Strange movie is coming. We briefly talked about it in a few a few episodes ago. Are we talking about the controversy? The controversy! Yes, so... I didn't think about this at all when I first watched the trailer for Doctor Strange. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about... <laughs> because I had no idea who that character was. Because I nope. don't know who Doctor Strange is. <laughs> he seems cool, I guess. The only thing I know about him is that his job title is Earth Sorcerer Supreme. Well, which is quite the, silliest, the builder. It's just the silliest title ever, and I love it. Yeah, so Tilda Swinton plays like his teacher person. 
I should have researched this topic more before I tried to talk about it. Anyway. Oh, yeah. She she plays the Ancient One. Yes. Who in the comics is of which descent? Tibetan. Tibetan descent. And in the movie, it's Tilda Swinton, who is decidedly not Tibetan. Of course, that is um, a problem for a lot of people. And, And it's a problem for me. I'm not a big fan of that. No, I think probably one of the people who I think summed this up pretty well. What what I found even more offensive than the than the casting, which is not an excuse, but it happens all the time and does need to stop. It's like we don't need to take every part and give it to a white actor. Yeah. They have enough. But it's it's Marvel's excuse for it. Did you hear Marvel's excuse? I did not. They said they didn't want to offend the Chinese market. Wow, that's um, that's the that's bad. Yeah, that's, that's really bad. Really bad. And <laughs> oh, so man. George Takei had a great response. Would you like to hear it? I love George. Go ahead. I'll read it in my voice. But if you want me to say any of the words as George Takei, I can also do that. You know what? Why is <laughs> the whole thing is George Takei? Here we go. <clears throat> All right, let's hear it. So let me get this straight. You cast a white actress so you wouldn't hurt sales. In Asia, this backpedaling is nearly as cringeworthy as the casting. Marvel must think we're all idiots, writes Decay. Marvel already addressed the Tibetan question by setting the action and the ancient one in Kathmandu, Nepal. It wouldn't have mattered to the Chinese government by that point whether the character was white or Asian, as it was already in another country. So this is a red herring, and it's insulting that they expect us to buy their explanation. They cast Tilda because they believe white audiences want to see white faces. Audiences, too, should be aware of how dumb and out of touch the studios think we are. Oh my. That was a great George Takei impression. Thank you. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, um... I did not know the thing about Nepal. That makes, yeah, that makes it even more baffling as to why they did that. That's obviously really common practice is to take, you know, ethnic parts and give them to white people out of the thought that, you know, we just, we need to get a big star and white people will go see a big star and not, you know, a big white star, but not a big black star, which you see that with another big kind of nerd movie project coming up, Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, dear, dear, dear. But, you know, for that one, I could at least, I understood what they were thinking because Ghost in the Shell is not very well known, at least in the United States. So that's, you know, I could at least go, I know why you did it. It's wrong, but I know why you did it. Right. I know Doctor Strange is also not very well known in the United States, but neither was Guardians of the Galaxy. You're Marvel. At this point, you have so much, like, consumer trust. You can make a movie about anything and anyone, and it will break records. So their excuse Like, Black Panther will make a ton of money. It just will. It doesn't matter who's in it. It, it, it'll make a ton of money because it's a Marvel movie and we it's all go see them. all the money. And so it just feels weird when they make excuses like that. I think they know they messed up. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And they're very nervous about something hitting their standing as the cool company. 
Yeah. So hopefully the uh, the this, the yelling and the fist pounding over this will prevent them from doing that in the future. It That's won't prevent it won't prevent other studios, but it'll prevent them. It just yeah, it's oh, bothersome. Marvel. The ghost in the, the ghost in the shell thing is especially bothersome because number one, a live action ghost in the shell creation by Americans is just dumb to begin with. Because Ghost in the Shell is out of all like Japanese media things that can be remade in America, that's one of the worst ones to do. Because it's so Japanese. It's so incredibly Japanese. It's, it's one of the most Japanese things so, I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just so incredibly you know, the conflict of and just all like the themes about it are just really steeped in Japanese culture. And it's so kinda that's like, the thing is no matter what they do, this new Ghost in the Shell is gonna be no it's it's just like you might as well not call yeah you might as well not call a ghost in the shell it's kind of like when they were getting ready to remake uh akira it's like have you seen that it's so japanese did the akira remake fall through um as of now i think it's you know it's been in limbo for so long i don't know it's one of those things i know someone out there is gonna desperately try to make it but i don't know no i don't know it's hella dumb it's it's just all the whole ca- like, casting like that. Generally, Matthew, do you get the same feeling I do with remakes? Um, what do you mean? <laughs> a lot of the times with remakes, I feel like, especially remakes of things that are fairly recent, and I know maybe 15-20 years isn't fairly recent, but sometimes live-action remakes, I feel like they're not trying anything that I care to get up and go pay money to see. Yeah. And and you've seen that general audience response for a lot of these recent uh, remakes of kind of sort of recent movies. Because, you know, you had the Point Break remake, which I don't know why that ever happened to begin with. No, absolutely Um, not. A lot of horror films get remade. Let's see. I just want to briefly talk about Point Break. Anyone who is still a fan of Point Break, like me, and I think you, um, they would not want to go see another Point Break if, Keanu, if Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, and Gary Busey are not involved. There's no reason. There's no reason. Yeah. So, like, why? If you're not one of those people, you you don't like Point Break. You're not gonna go see the remake of it. So, there's a reason why I think that movie made like twenty dollars at the box office. One confused person who was thinking he was walking into a completely different film. Yeah, and then that's um, the thing is, is I want to go see Point Break. I want to see the reasons you go see Point Break. I feel like someone in the casting room is just like, "Hey guys, uh, Point Break. That was like a movie, right? Yeah, let's make that." Yeah, and then you know, when I went to go see uh, Captain America: Civil War, which I'd like to talk about, but you haven't seen it yet. So, Ooh, um, Captain America: Civil War special later this week. Oh my god, we're gonna talk um, about it. Let's see. Um, right. There was, you know, there was a trailer in that for they're making, you know, a new Tarzan movie, which doesn't bother me as much because, you know, Tarzan's kind of a universal story at this point. It, yeah. just, looked, it just looked super dull. Add Christoph Waltz in it. That's cool. I love um, Christoph Waltz. Put him in anything. And then as we were walking out, we saw the poster outside of the movie theater for Ben-Hur. Oh, I forgot they're doing a Ben-Hur. What? Why? Like, because... do you think you can do it better? You know, does someone watch Ben Hur and go, "Do you know what this movie needs? Not Charlton Heston." <laughs> Those are some of the most confusing movies for me. It'd be like someone going, "This summer, Fox brings you Casablanca." 
<laughs> it's like well, you know one of those that's actually happened do you know what do you know what psycho needs vince vaughn god damn it Matthew, that's <laughs> one of the most horrible choices you could possibly make is take and but they do it they do it quite a bit it's just so weird i just you know i know that making movies is hard I remember we kind of talked about this when we talked about Marvel, how incredible it is that they've been as consistent as they have. And because it's just so easy to make dumb decisions. And, and also you're studios handling lots you- of money and it's terrifying. Your job is on the line. It's, it's extreme gambling. And I feel like sometimes it drives people to do weird things. Yeah, because it kind of drives people, do you know, because there are just so many factors that go into making these decisions that sometimes, you know, studios will go forward with these things. It really takes an outside like perspective to go, hold on, guys. A Ben-Hur remake is a really dumb idea. Have you seen the trailer for it? No, I haven't. It looks I just so saw the poster. very standard. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that's kind of be sad. I won't, it probably won't even be like so bad it'll be fun. It'll just be like completely forgettable. No, it's just a, it's like a wannabe gladiator. What's going to happen when they run out of things to remake? Are we going to get remakes of A Trip to the Moon? Ooh, Kevin, don't give him ideas. I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. Like, next week, I'm going to wake up, and it's going to be like, this summer, you saw Neil do it. You saw the Apollo 13 astronauts try to do it. Now see who did it first. A trip to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Ow, my eye! But the bullet, the moon's gonna, like dodge the bullet in slow motion. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna oh. hit him in slow motion. Oh man, I'm actually kind of excited about this movie now. We have to revive George Mie just to be star in it in a cameo role. Oh lord. Now, I mean, the way the remix are kind of going right now is, you know, in in continuation with the uh, with the comic book stuff. Um, it's mostly just remakes of the comic book franchises. That's sort of where we're at right now with most remakes. Like you know, we're yeah. gonna see we're gonna see a new Spider-Man movie, of course. After when was the last when was the last one again? Uh, um, was it two years ago, a year. Ago? I think it was. I think it was a year and a half ish ago. It was Amazing Spider-Man two, and we're getting ready. To, we're gonna see a new one, I think, in twenty eighteen. It's so funny that back in two thousand and one, we yep. were so so excited to have a Spider-Man. Movie. So, yeah, Spider-Man's finally coming to the big screen. And this now is gonna I'm be like, so cool. And look, I'm really, I'm really happy. I like the new guy who's playing Spider-Man. No, um, he's. I mean, you haven't seen Civil War yet, but he's very good in it. I've heard so many good things about him, and I like, I like him as an actor and other things. And so I'm kind of like, oh, how cool. But I'm just, I'm kind of like, more Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and maybe it'll be great, and that's great. But it's just, that's how I feel about it. Do you think like this whole like remake thing? Because you know some people will say, oh, you know remakes have always been part of hollywood it's like yeah that's true you know the ben-hur we're talking about was a remake of the silent movie ben-hur yeah but there's no denying that it happens a whole lot more nowadays than it used to and well also never before have has it been necessary to pump so it's you can see this in video games you can see this in movies to keep up with the big dogs takes an amazing amount of money that's yeah that's what i was getting to is that you know it happens so much more nowadays because there's so much more money involved but the same amount of uncertainty actually more uncertainty because the market is so much more fractured now no we've seen movies i mean we've seen movies that are thought of as classics tank because 
something that went had a lot less money going into and a lot less talent did really well because it hit the right note. And so it's a terrifying business. What are you guys doing making movies? They cling to like any sort of recognizable name that they know will at least get some. It'll, it'll get people to know what they're making. It'll get and it recognition. Might even, it might even come down to what name can we actually sell to somebody. Right now, having a superhero name on something is going to sell to an investor. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you have a movie that has the name Ben Hur in it, it's probably going to sell to some investor. Because an investor will go, "Oh, I've heard of that." They don't want to sell it to something that has that is a gamble. That is a gamble because someone has just written this script and they're going to make a movie. That's why if you want to see like a lot of innovation, you see it in independent films. That's always it's, it's the exact same in uh in video games. Independent you know, all games, the, like all the big titles are you know just kind of the same old thing over and over again. Because my you know, favorite experiences in video games this last year have been tiny independent games. They were Darkest Dungeon and Undertale. I love Darkest Dungeon, and I cannot wait to play Undertale. It is sitting on my computer right now, ready to play. I'll probably yeah. play it pretty soon. You should give it a go. It's it, and that's the thing is that it's simple. Whether it's simple experience making, like every single Darkest Dungeon is like your own story that you like to tell people later about that one time something crazy happened, or an Undertale where it's a very hold your hand kind of story, but it's told in such a nice, simple, emotional way. You're like, you remember it. And they're both big gambles. Yep. And it's just it's just really hard to take those giant gambles with a hundred million dollars because it's no. so much money. You know, it's you'll see you'll see it occasionally with, you know, our favorite movie from the very first episode Speed Racer was kind of an eighty million dollar gamble and it didn't pay off from a it monetary standpoint. No, the biggest gamble I've seen the last few years, I guess, would have to be Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty wacky. Yeah, but um, again, it really wasn't much of a gamble because Marvel knew people would go see it. The Guardians of the Galaxy was like their touchdown celebration dance. We can make a movie about a raccoon and his tree friend in space and you'll still come see it. Yeah, I can't think of a movie in a long time that I've been like, ooh, I, whoa. I mean, I can, but they're all independents. Yeah, I'm thinking of big budget movies. Like, no, they're, just, they're just so much money now, you just you can't take those risks. If I was an investor, I wouldn't. It's just, you know, if you gave someone $100 million and said, okay, are you going to go make a crazy, wacky movie that there's a high chance will not succeed, either from a critical standpoint or from a monetary standpoint, I'd be like, no. <laughs> I'll go invested in Spider-Man 8, because I know people will see it. Yeah, I guess the last like big crazy ass thing was is it are we go is it all the way back to Avatar? Was Avatar the last big crazy thing? Um Do you want to count Pacific Rim? Oh, I loved Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim was pretty weird. Yeah, okay. We'll say Pacific Rim. And it Let's paid off reasonably Rim. well. I yeah, think there's a sequel fine. happening. It, there better be. Cause that's the biggest, stupidest fun fest I've ever seen. Yeah, that movie was silly. Oh, man. I'm going to snuggle up to Pacific Rim this evening. Oh, Everybody right back home, I think you should all sit down and watch some kaiju fights tonight. Mm-hmm. Find that person you love, whether it be man, woman, or giant, city-destroying monster. Snuggle up and watch the sparks fly. And don't question their late use of the sword. For my family! It was a game changer. (laughs) It only activates when you're empowered by 
family the emotions. The thought of avenging your family. Okay, so that's the explanation. Man, why isn't that actress playing Ghost in the Shell? Oh, because she's so good. Not, that's not the name of the woman in Ghost in the Shell. Whatever that android's name is, I don't remember right now. I can't I don't remember right now. I don't either. know. I'm honestly not a giant Ghost in the Shell fan. But I watched uh, standalone. Yes, I I watched the show, the movie. I've watched a few times, and I just can't get into it. I I can't. I I just I don't. I don't dig it. I don't know why. I just don't. It's you know. I understand its um its significance, especially in introducing anime to Western mainstream culture. But I don't know. I just don't dig it. No. I don't know. A little too. A little too. talky for me just a whole lot of standing around talking about stuff that i don't find super interesting no i don't know sorry ghost in the shell fans it's okay there's been a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of anime that are like that that um i think it's it, it comes down to what it hits you at because a lot of them are very text heavy mm-hmm. and so if the text is interesting to you then i think you can you can go along with it yeah, if I mean, not, hopefully has cool action sequences. I mean, you know, going back to Persona, you know, anyone who's looking to get into those games, remember that it's about seventy percent text. Just you just gotta be ready for that. You, 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 if you don't like what they're talking about, you're gonna hate it because all they do is talk. <laughs> no, right. but the talking oh. is good. No, talking um, is good. I like text-heavy games sometimes, though. Oh, I I usually love text-heavy games. I just I love stories. You know, Were sandboxes you ever... are fun and all, but you know, I remember like playing GTA Four. <laughs> I just uh, I have this great moment with GTA Four, which I always cite as like the perfect example of why sometimes sandboxes are not very good like games, like from a storytelling standpoint. Mm-hmm. Where um, I was doing like the big final like story bit from GTA Four, and Anyone who's played GTA knows that the sandbox natures of it is it's it's ripe for silly shenanigans to happen. And um, my silly shenanigan was I was on my way to confront the man who killed Nico's family back in Russia or wherever. And it's a really serious moment. And, you know, his cousin is with him and he's, you know, they're trying to debate whether or not to you know, kill the guy when they meet him. And along the way, my car got wrecked as you do because driving in gta 4 was impossible and i was like well, i need a new car and an ice cream truck drove by <laughs> and i was like well that's what i need <laughs> so i grabbed the ice cream truck and i am driving to the you know most important most emotionally distraught moment in nico's <laughs> life as my ice cream truck plays right of the valkyrie they do 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 and they're having this really emotional conversation and i get there and they do the whole cutscene of whether or not to shoot the guy with the ice cream truck in the background covered in blood because i ran over some people along the way and he decides not to and i, I had him decide not to and we get back in the truck and i'm driving away and nico's like you know oh i should have done it oh what is wrong with me and his cousin's like you did the right thing cousin as i'm running over people on bicycles as ride of the valkyries continues to play <laughs> See, that's why I feel like the the best use of the GTA model was in Saints Row. Yeah, Saints Row is like, it's impossible to tell, like, you know, an emotional, genuine story in the context of a silly sandbox game. So screw it, we'll just go silly with it. The best I saw was probably with Red Dead Redemption, which did a, a really good job, but it was... I feel like the sandbox was actually kind of working against the story it was trying to tell a lot of the time. Oh, it definitely was. Especially because the the story kind of portrayed Marston as a good man, 
but within the game mechanics, it could be you a man. Right you could be a man who can, you know, just completely massacre a town and then tie up people and put them in front of trains. Yeah, which you are gonna do. You can do it. You're gonna do it. Yeah, and then Unless you go and do really it, and then you nice. go and do a mission, and people are like, "Oh, you're a good man, Mars." You're a good man. And I'm Marston. like, "No, you're no, I'm not." Did you see? I put like ten people in front of a train back there. It was a little like person exploding train fest. <laughs> It's like fireworks. I pressed the wrong button and shot all that guy's chickens. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's that's why, yeah, text games definitely will always have their place. Or, you know, just really specific types of games. I would actually love if we could just, like, maybe, like, pitching future topics is if we have one episode about open world genre. Oh, yeah. The goods and the bads of the open world genre. Because I'm a huge fan of the open world genre, but it has a lot of faults. And then I want to go in the other extreme is talk about, but let's go. I want to talk a lot about like isometric RPGs and back in the days when things were word based. Let's do it. That'll be currently, maybe our next topic. I don't yeah. Know. If anyone out there wants to give it a try, Matthew, I'd recommend maybe giving it a little bit of a go just for. Did you ever play like the. I know you played all the Fallouts. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made a new game called Pillars of Eternity. I've heard of it. It is. It's on our Steam. Yeah. Um, it's long, so you don't want to like. You'll have to. You'll have to put some time into it. I'm still not done with the damn thing. But it is basically a solid new Baldur's Gate. Ooh. It's got the same mechanics as Baldur's Gate, but updated. Um, updated graphics from Baldur's Gate, but it's still an isometric, hand-drawn environments, and mm-hmm. it's text. Text for days! Of text. And it's great. It's like they took Baldur's Gate, just revamped it, and re-released it, and it's beautiful. Good times. Alright, thank you everybody for joining us for this uh, smorgasbord of various subjects. Now this that we is... made up a bunch of subjects, we're going to pick some cool ones for next time and we'll talk to you soon. Exactly. You guys just got a uh, inside look into how a normal conversation between us goes. We tend to just do this. Ramble. We just so... ramble everywhere. So thanks for listening to us ramble and have a lovely day. This has been the Nerd Roundtable with the Percival Brothers. Good night. I'm trying to think of another spoiler to say before I turn it off. Uh, uh, Thank you, Stumbledore. Oh my gosh, how can you say that?